Hello, and welcome to the Ecological Sensibilities Project, a podcast where we explore the different ways people think and feel about the environment. Throughout this series, I'll be talking to a variety of people from different backgrounds, seeking to get a sense of the ways in which they interrelate with the natural world, as well as trying to pick up from them how that relationship might have changed over the course of their lives. Although throughout the series we'll be discussing with individuals how they think and feel about the environment, the project itself is rooted in a wider sociological approach that seeks to understand how these thoughts and feelings are themselves shaped and generated by the vastly different contexts within which human individuals live their lives. As we listen to each conversation, therefore, the challenge is not just to appreciate the expression of a unique point of view, but rather to tune in to the wider social and historical forces that make such a view possible. The world is changing, and so are people's thoughts and feelings about the environment. The Ecological Sensibilities Project seeks to dip in and take a litmus test of these kind of movements. probably get a message your end that you need to accept is that is that right no i'm leaving the meeting <laughs> yeah that's it you're done <laughs> cool. today i'm meeting with simon porter a regenerative farmer living in hampshire england um my name is simon porter and i am uh, farming running a family farm in the northeast part of hampshire uh, near Odium in, in Hampshire um, and it's a family farm that's been here for five generations and I have been uh, managing the farm for um, probably 40 so years. About a month before this interview I visited Simon on his farm and he was kind enough to show me around. It is an arable farm so we grow things like wheat and barley and oilseed and peas and beans and linseed and oats. Uh, we have moved the farm over the last number of years, starting probably 20 years ago, into what is now called a regenerative farm or regenerative agriculture. So, so you mentioned that um, you came into sort of managing the farm 40-odd uh, odd years ago, but the, the farm itself has been in the family for five generations. So can you just tell us a bit about that? How did you come to be managing the farm in the first in the first place? Well, um, this farm is my wife's family's farm. And uh, I my family farms right next door and the two families were connected before I married my wife anyhow. Um, so uh, there is a connection in the family and they have two families worked together for some years. Um, I was asked to join the farm when I was in 1976, when I was that old. Um, <laughs> and um, I started as the boy on the farm, as my, who became my father-in-law, but he wasn't then for some years. Um, and I was his assistant, but due to unfortunate events within the family, um, I was uh, given the opportunity of running the farm at a very early age. So by the time I was in my probably late teens, early 20s, early 20s, I was taking on quite a bit of responsibility for the farm. Um, and then fairly shortly after, um, the full responsibility of the farm came my way um, and has done for um a, a serious number of years and, and presumably when you first started uh running the farm and in terms of kind of knowing how to do that and and what to do i mean you had a kind of farming history yourself um but presumably you were also learning from the the previous generation from your your father-in-law your future father-in-law and then father-in-law um so so what kinds of things did you pick up from uh, from that generation in how to do farming, how to, to, to go about it? What were some of the values that... that uh... Yes, okay, um, good question. So, uh, yes, when you are brought up in a farming family with a farming heritage, um, 
you live and breathe it from the day you can walk or probably beforehand. So one is always aware, I have memories of going out with my father when I was a little boy, helping to bring the cows in, um, helping to help around the harvest field or just be in the harvest field or the hay field. Picnics in the hay field all sounds very romantic, but it used to be pretty dusty and a bit noisy at times. Um, and my father ex exclaimed why something's gone wrong when he should be having a quiet picnic um, yes. in the hay field. So all of that, you just uh, listen to conversations. You listen to my father talking to his father. You pick up on what they are saying subliminally, probably. You're not aware of it. So um, then at a very early age, I mean, I think I was always asking to do jobs. And, and I remember my my first real proper job was at nine years old. Um, I was allowed to drive the smallest tractor on the farm and caught carts and grain out of out of the out of parts of the farm. Um, and before then, you were given jobs of sweeping up barns and and, and tidying things. And from there, um, you know, farm vehicles. Ten, eleven years old, I was driving the farm vehicles of my own around the farm. Um, at, 13 or 14, I had my own farm vehicle that I bought for five pounds. And so you, you become resourceful as an MOT failure, you become resourceful. Um, and at 15 and 16, you're doing farm jobs that uh, the trained farm staff are doing. And so you basically grow into it and that's yeah. how it develops. Um, so my father-in-law, although he wasn't then, um, obviously was very astute and realized he would get somebody fully trained. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I was due to go to college. Um, uh, I was due to do a year on the farm here and then go to college. But because of the events within the family, that didn't materialize and I ended up staying on the farm. Um, and so I never have had a formal agricultural qualification. Yeah. Some people probably will say it shows. <laughs> um, but um, I have no idea. Um, it hasn't stopped me developing and spearheading the farm um, in uh, quite a unique way. Yes. Yeah. So you, your your training has been in, in, almost entirely hands on. I mean, practicing, learning to farm through practicing farming and learning from the previous generations, from those that have gone before and, and picking up things in that way. Entirely hands on but with a willingness to learn. But more than that, looking back, I realized that I've gone through my life with a deep desire to please people and not just for the sake of being liked, but um, I've had a desire that if I'm being told to do something once, I'm not gonna to be told a second time. I wanna get it right the first time. Right. And I wanna make sure that I do it better than anyone else would do it. That sounds a bit arrogant, but it's just my way of living and my character is show me and then I'll do it and I will do it then from then on hopefully the best that anyone can do it yeah so um I don't I don't think I've ever had to be chased too much I've, I've had a learning disposition yes I've had a desire to learn uh, and to achieve and to be the best that I can be, that sums it up. I think yeah. I've had an inbuilt, I've inbuilt character trait that is to be the best that I can be. So, so in terms of running the farm, then does that then translate into you know you 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 took up this responsibility of running the farm at a very young age, um, and you've carried that responsibility for for more than forty years, and throughout that time does that value that you've just spoken about translate into really wanting to, you know, run the farm as best as you possibly can? Is that, is that how Absolutely. that translates? Yeah. Absolutely. I have a bit of a reputation um, in my, with my nephews and nieces um, when they used to come to me and say, Oh, we can't do that. I used to say, never say can't to me because <laughs> you always can just find a way of doing it. So, and that has been my, my view in life. If I can't find a way of doing it, I will find a way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so when we were a um, in a, what I would say a modern commercial industrial farm, the old type of farming, where it was all 
maximum productivity um, and it was planting the fields from corner to corner, hedgerow to hedgerow, and all with maximum productivity, as we were encouraged to in the 70s and 80s by the government. Yes. Um, then I can remember training my nephews and sending them back and saying, when they are plowing the field, saying, you've left two plow furrows on the edge of the field. That is wasted field. Go back plow those two fields because everything has to be done properly okay now of course i have to hasten to add that desire for the best and to be the best has translated into my environmental um desires yes yeah right so that's really interesting <laughs> how that's yeah so the same kind of uh you know, the same kind of uh, value of, you know, wanting to do things well, how that's translated and changed into something into something different over the years. It's interesting yes. to observe that. Yeah. 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 Uh, as as I saw the. Um, the foolishness of continuing with a industrialized form of farming where we were having to pedal faster to stay still using ever more crop care chemicals. Um, as I have as I have seen the foolishness of that and have transferred my desires, affections, enthusiasm to regenerative farming, I hopefully my desire to be the best has translated to that as well. And I don't, I hope my desire to be the best is in no sense an arrogant desire to show everyone else up. I think it's just who I am. Yeah. I'm going to do well. My father would say to me, This is why, this is where it's come from. I just remembered. Yeah. My father would say to me, If it's worth doing, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. So do it properly. <laughs> and then he would say, um, When I used to get help from my friends or my cousins to farm jobs, he was saying, No, you do it yourself. One boy's a boy. Two boys, half a boy, three boys, and no boys at all. So, in other <laughs> words, if you want a job done properly by a boy, just ask one boy to do it. Interesting. And so, there's that sense of do a job properly. Yeah. So, those are quite deeply ingrained kind of values that that have been transmitted from your father in some way into your life. Yeah, from my father and from my older brother. I had an older brother who was seven years older than me, who was running, who was you know working at the home farm many times i can remember being sent back to do the job again and even again until i'd done it properly yeah uh, and it wasn't unusual no it wasn't, it wasn't exceptional to have a bit of a flap around the ear to be told to go back and do it properly again you know you learn yes you learn from a little bit of um, punishment like that yeah and, and you and you use the same technique with the, uh, the younger generation now well i've never i don't think i've ever <laughs> them a slap around the ear because that wasn't my job to do but yeah. many times i've sent them back yeah. yeah interesting interesting so obviously i mean this is a kind of obvious question in one sense because i i i know what the answer is going going to be but it's sort of intro introducing a different kind of thread and stuff in a way um is that i mean essentially would you describe yourself as an environmentally conscious person today and what has been the journey for that? I mean, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned that you began to see, um, you know, how the, the mode of agriculture that you were pursuing back in the 1970s and 1980s was, was leading nowhere. Was that something that came in, um, in, in, a, in a flash or was it a kind of progressive thing where you began to question this way of doing things? Can, can, you, can you remember even how, how that transition happened whereby you began to lose faith with the, the way of doing uh, agriculture back then? Um, I think that we saw, we saw the first twinkling of the light um, uh, inadvertently or by accident. So we adopted a different form of cultivation on the farm um, for economic reasons. 
to be able to farm more land with the same uh, resources, i.e. the same staff and tractor, because we had opportunities to expand the business. And so we adopted a system in 2000, year, the year 2000, called minimal tillage, where we just till the top two centimetres and we leave all of the straw, all of the residue from the crops on the top of the surface for the worms to bring down through. And, and after doing that for five or six years, for mainly economical reasons, yeah. we began to see the improvement in the soil. Mm. And I think that coincided with a general dissatisfaction within my own desire of farming i just began to have a time of getting fed up with it in fact i left i left farming for a few years to work in the in a charity charity industry um, because i was a bit disillusioned with it all or but um but then once i saw the the changes that were happening with the soil i then realized that we needed to pursue this further. And by then we were hearing the whisperings of other people who'd been already on the journey. So the whisperings of farmers in America or France and the occasional one in the UK who had been doing this for five or six, 10 years and were seeing significant differences. And, you know, it takes so long for such stories to um, feed into mainstream yes um because podcasts weren't around that often so yeah. that's one, one of the good things about podcasts so um we then talked to those farmers um and began to learn so it coincided with a, with um a frustration about farming with a bit of a disillusionment about the modern type of farming uh, and then getting infused with the idea of what used to be called conservation agriculture where you're conserving your soil but it's now called regenerative where we are actually renewing the soil so yes. does that answer your question yes it does yeah yeah and so so having sort of gone through that period of disillusion and and essentially kind of you know leaving farming for a while through this new mode of of farming you began to feel kind of the energy come back in towards farming and the kind of desire to be back in, in farming again. Yep. Is that fair yep. to say? Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 I couldn't have done it probably if I had to do it. Well, I, I actually had to come back to the farm because of um, other reasons um, that required me to come back and pick the business up again. Um, I was still overseeing the business, but I wasn't doing the practice of farming then for a few years. But um, when I came back and picked it up again and um, spearheaded the, the drive finally into regenerative agriculture, um, it, it all came alive again. And yeah. I enjoyed it. And um, it was the difference between practicing a science, which can be a bit dry and dusty, or practicing an art, which is creative and mm. a wonder and some some things are spontaneous and surprising that's 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 the thing and and that probably also paralleled with some changes in my own life um, and my own outlook uh, of life and my own understanding of life and how life works so can you tell us a little bit more about that was that something that was also happening in the early 2000s or you you say that you know that was a kind of period where you began to move into this new new mode of, of farming what were the, what were the other things that were happening for you we started doing minimum tillage in 2000 but it wasn't until 2014 that we actually went into full-blown regenerative farming which as you know probably you know the three main issues are you do not move the soil you keep the soil covered at all times uh, and you have living roots and crops uh, in the soil at all times. Yes. Um, and so we adopted that in 2014. And in fairness, it was around about that time 
that I was beginning to question and jettison um, a lot of the, the religious um, concepts that I had been brought up with and I had taken on board for myself, but had also found wanting. Um, and so I come from a family that would describe themselves as a religious family. And um, while I have been in, incredibly grateful for my upbringing, there has been a journey for me that has led to discovering something much greater and much more dynamic and much more beautiful, um, which I would describe as the eternal spirit that lives in all things and is in all of this universe. Um, and so my understanding of what people might want to call God has has transformed and has become incredibly more profound and real and, um, and significant to me. And that seemed to go alongside with the journey into regenerative farming where, where what I'm doing, this may sound weird to some people, but actually where I'm farming, that is a sacred process as well. So yes. religion leaves you with a world of two you know it leaves you with two worlds the world of religion and sacredness and, and the rest of your life but actually life is not like that and i yes. have found that the beauty of the soil is has become sacred to me and seeing the beautiful flowers emerge in the springtime in the various colors uh, and the variety of plant life and wildlife and hearing the song of the skylark has become something that is part of my whole life. Yes. Yeah. You, you mentioned before, as we were touring the farm, just as we went across the first field and we went into the woodland there and you described it as your, uh, your, your church or your cathedral. I can't remember. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I think I was going to send you the poem I wrote about that. Actually. Yes, yeah, you and you still can. Please, please um, do. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I do. I try and do a morning walk across the field at the back of the farm and in through a wood, and it is stunning at any time. The, yes. When you are when you are <clears throat> present to the moment. So you know, lots of people will walk through that wood and they'll think, "Oh, this is nice," but when you are present to every sound and present to every moment and present to every smell and everything you, your eyes are bringing you, then everything becomes alive in a whole new way, I think. So would you say that, that, that today in your present experience, you feel more sensorially alive, more alive in your senses or, or more alive to, you know, all of these different things that are going on than you were at previous times in your life, or is that not really the case? Uh, yes. Um, uh, it's a good question, uh, and I had to think about that to answer it. Um, uh, yes, without a doubt, um, I am very much more alive and sensitive to everything and everyone around me. And I think that is a unique work of the spirit of love or the spirit of the eternity that when we become conscious of that spirit when we become conscious of the divinity in us in us and around us uh in not any, in any woozy woozy way but just in a yeah. normal living way you you i become very much more conscious of the beauty around me and when i'm walking with people and maybe i did with you I often stop and point out something very similar, very simple in the hedgerow, but just look at that beauty. Yes. Um, look at that little insect. Look at, just stop a minute and be aware of the presence there of, of whatever. And, and you mentioned that, um, so there's this, as far as the picture I'm getting is that, you know, around 2014 was a, significant time in the sense that you were embarking fully upon the regenerative farming um, technique there uh, but also there were these changes happening in your spirituality and your spiritual outlook um, the ways that you were 
um, <clears throat> perceiving things and perceiving you know, the eternal and the eternal spirit. That were there any particular um, events in that period of time that were significant, or was it in a similar way that I asked about the kind of agriculture thing? Was it a gradual awakening, or were there there particular things that happened that caused your um, spirit to open in this new kind of way? Yes, um, I have had a number of what people would call spiritual encounters. They haven't involved spiritual um, forms or spiritual um, beings, but I have always been able to discern and hear um, my inner voice talking to me. Now that inner voice might be the real me, it might be the, tr the true Simon who is within me, it might be um, the spirit of the universe that fills everything. But when I hear the voice within me, uh, that speaks with an authority that is unique to anything else I can read or hear. And one of the most profound moments was sitting in a moment of quietness. So I, for, for now, for some years, for eight or 10 years, sitting in moments of meditation and quietness has been an important part of my daily life. Um, and one of the most profound ones was sitting and listening in quietness and then hearing the inner voice say to me, Simon, I want to show you a bigger God. I want to show you a bigger gospel and I want to show you a bigger church. And of course, you yes. don't know what, anything what that means. You have no idea what those things mean. But now, 10 years on, I'm just learning, still learning what that means. Um, there have been other occasions when I have been um, I remember I was in a group of, of um, a group of mainly men, I think it was, but in a sort of spiritual retreat. And uh, I had the sensation of my great grandfather being there with me. And I had the sensation of my great grandfather handing me a baton and sense of never heard anything, but the sense of it's over to you, Simon. Pick up the baton and run with something fresh and new, like I had to run with something fresh and new. Mm. I've never met my great grandfather, but I have read his diaries and he was a very spiritual man. Um, and there have been a number of things. Um, they were just two that drop in my mind, but there have been a number of significant moments in my, those stillness and silence that has uh, the, the inner words have spoken to me and have propelled me into new experience just a question about your great-grandfather I'm, I'm presuming that he was a farmer as well given that what you you you've said previously is that right he was a farmer as well yes yeah. I, and he was a farmer who farming in the Cotswolds who went through a huge amount of of challenges in life because when you lived in the 1800s you did go through challenges like three children dying and your wife dying after childbirth Gosh. Now that either throws you onto the, onto the divine or else it throws you into hardness and bitterness and anger. Yes. Thankfully, it threw him onto the divine and he experiences his experiences he wrote about and also wrote poems, interestingly enough, like I do, um, and led him to turn his back on an established um, religion, the Church of England, and to begin to develop and experience a new simpler form of it, what would then be Christianity. Yes, yeah. So I take to call myself fully Christian these days um, because I'm aware that I have learned from so much other, so many other spiritual walks um, and people who are very aware and get their sustenance from the life around them and creation around them. Yes. Um, there is so much to learn from so many people. So it must have been, uh, it must be quite a moving experience to read your great-grandfather's diaries then. Um, it, did, he, did he write a lot of... Uh, yes. And... Uh, 
that I somewhere I have got a list of some of his writings as well. An aunt of mine actually wrote a book about our family, family heritage. Um, and a lot of what she wrote actually went back to my, well, went back way beyond my great grandfather. So there is also a book that uh, relates, that is based on a lot of his diaries. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it sounds like that, you know, there's definitely, as you've mentioned, a similar trajectory in your own life to to your great grandfather's life, which is why I suppose that feeling and sensation of him coming and handing you the baton was so significant in one sense, or perhaps you didn't know that at the time that you had that experience. Uh, I think what I've learned is that um, when you first have these spiritual experiences, um, you might think you know what they mean, but in reality, you have no idea what they're going to mean and how they're going to turn out and know you are correct. Yes. Um, I had no idea of how my journey would develop um, and what I would learn and what I would have to jettison. So I've had to, quite a chunk of my recent life has been jettisoning many of the principles of uh, of commercial modern farming that my father would have taught me. Yeah, I've had to jettison a lot of those uh, to relearn about re regenerative farming, and I've had to jettison um, a huge amount of uh, what my father and my family traditions would have taught me in terms of um, God and religion and Christianity. So yes. It's been a learning process, a jettisoning and a learning process from within. Yeah. And, 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 and reality, I have discovered, is not what someone has told me to believe. Reality is not what someone says, read this book and that, and that will tell you what to believe. Reality is hearing the voice of the divine within you, which anybody and everybody can silence themselves enough to listen to yeah. and the interesting thing is I, i'm coming across more and more people who have experienced the same thing both spiritually they've learned silence they've learned to hear the voice within um, and allow that to lead them and also i'm coming across so many people in the regenerative world who are saying i'm just enjoying all the birds and the wildlife on my farm now i'm enjoying yes. the variety of nature that i'm seeing and so nature coming alive for me is not unique to me it seems to be quite unique though to regenerative farmers yeah yeah that's fascinating that you've picked that up amongst other people who are on that same the same journey and, and who are experiencing the world you know the, the, the this living environment that's so full of of wonderful things they're experiencing that in a different way, but a way that resonates with your own experience as well. It is. And I think that's confirming, isn't it, that I'm not a nutcase um, being deceived by my own words, my own inner voice. Yes. Words. But um, I know you, you, yeah, you learn from other people. You learn yes. from other people's experiences. Um, and it's a lonely journey. It's a lonely road at times um, because the people closest to you very often misunderstand you. Yes. Uh, but when you have sensed something internally, when you have heard uh, and felt the divine all around you and within you, um, you can't dispute it. Yes. And you have to be true to follow that. Yes. That may in part answer the question that I was just about to ask, because I wanted to sort of go back and ask a bit more about the process of jettisoning and how, whether that's a difficult process in the sense I, the the, the the reason I'm asking is because, in a sense, you know, you you're you're talking, indicating, pointing towards a kind of you know a family history and a family you know knowledge which has been passed on, um, inheritances in one sense from one generation to the next, both in the sense of the knowledge of farming that you received from your father and that he received from his father. But then there's an also a different type of uh, inheritance which has been 
passed on from your great grandfather in terms of, you know, seeking out something fresh and new and, and leaving behind those things which have been inherited. Um, and so I'm just wondering whether that's been a difficult process. Do you feel some sense of betrayal is, is too strong a word, but, you know, you're, as you move away from the ways that the previous generation have done things, there's a sense in which, you know, that's a difficult move. I can relate to that from my own journey, you know, where you decide, well, I'm not going to do things the way my parents did them. I'm not going to do things like that. Um, how, how does that, how does that feel? How has that been worked out within you? Um, yes, you're right, with difficulty. Um, not so much with the farming side, um, because in one sense, I mean, people make the false ass ass assumption that uh, regenerative farming is, is going back to how it used to be. It's not. Yeah. But we are learning a lot of lessons from how my grandfather and great grandfather worked on farmed. Um, but so the farming side is um, as long as the farm remains profitable, which it does, and as long as we are producing fields of healthy crops, which we do, and as long as we are re energizing and reliving the soil, which we are, then who can argue? Yes. Who can argue with that? So <clears throat> no one would argue with that. One. You're being the best you can. You're doing the, the <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you, I, I agree. I think if my father-in-law and, 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 and his father came back, I have every confidence that they would say, um, yep, you've made a lot of changes. You're doing things very differently, but the farm looks good and the profitability is still good. And I would hope the farm will be left, well, I know at present, the farm will be left in a far healthier state yes. than when I took it on, yes. purely because of the regenerative journey. Um, and, and I'm not saying my father-in-law wouldn't have done the same. I, I can't say that, I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying he made yeah. a mistake. He just farmed as other farmers farmed at that time. Yes. In terms of my spiritual journey, that's very much more difficult and challenging. And I suppose I feel a sadness that those who are close to me pretty much misunderstand what's going on in my life. Okay. And the journey of what is often described of, of mysticism, yes. that is, mysticism is not, again, something all Ooh, scary. Mysticism is living from within. And most of religion is about living from without. Not entirely. Of course, people have ex spiritual experiences. But normally, most religion relies on external people like pastors, teachers, bishops, vicars, priests, uh, and the theology to teach you what to believe. Yeah. Mysticism is hearing the voice within and living from within. And that is misunderstood. Mysticism has been misunderstood by people for centuries. You can read of the 12th century mystic who were equally misunderstood and were rejected by mainline religion. And I'm aware that uh, my own family misunderstand me and would feel sorry for me and i'm i'm sad about that yes and <clears throat> but it's very hard to explain to other people what is going on within your spirit unless you have experienced it yourself and maybe yes. you would understand that for yourself yep. yes yeah definitely is that a fair comment yeah absolutely yeah i mean you, what you describe resonates very uh, very much with my own uh, journey over the last few years. Um, interestingly for me, my my inherited faith is Catholic. So my mum is is a devout Catholic. Um, and in my early days of um, after for me a born again experience, I I was very um, opposed to 
Catholicism. Um, but I think in recent years, because my own path has led more in this direction of mysticism uh, and the mystics and my own spirituality has moved in that direction, that I think my mum and I have come to have much, much more similar faiths because oh, she yeah. has that whole inherited tradition within the within Catholicism of the of the mystics. Um, so yeah, so that's and I, have, and I have read many of them. Yes, right. They're yeah. great people. Yeah, yeah. And could I just ask, is your um, so you mentioned a certain feeling of or, or of, of, of being kind of misunderstood in your spiritual journey by people that are close to you. Are your are your parents still alive? Or? No, both no. both my parents and my parents-in-law have passed on for some quite a few years now. Okay, but you you'd be referring to other people who have the I've kind been of to siblings and cousins, okay, um, and in-laws and that sort of thing. Okay, and in a sense, who who practice a kind of faith similar to the one that you practiced perhaps in your earlier days and kind of, yes. you know, inherited from your, your yeah. parents and that generation. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So one other question that I wanted to ask, okay, as you know, I'm interested and in probably picking this up all the way through the interview, but I'm interested in perception and the ways that we perceive things and how those perceptions change and one of the things that fascinated me as we toured the farm together was the sense in which um, you, your perception of the small things, I mean, you've already mentioned it here uh, this morning, your perception of the small things has changed over the years, as far as I understand, you know, the facts, like you were saying, of, of, of walking and of stopping, of pausing, of, of seeing, you know, a flower, or, you know, just as we were walking around, you pointed out various grasses, you know, that, that, that were just there and, you know, just to soak up the kind of beauty of, of those. Um, and you also mentioned when we, we, we talked before about a teaspoonful of, um, of soil and the ways in which your perception of that soil has changed to realise, you know, not necessarily that you can see with the with the physical eye but but the the multitude of living forms which are actually in that 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 teaspoon of, of of soil and so on the one hand you've got that um kind of changed perception of smaller things and then another part of your story which i'm i'm picking up is the fact of um this experience you had where you felt the divine spirit say to you you know, that you're going to be led out in a sense to see a bigger God. Was it a bigger God, a bigger church, church? And, a, and a bigger gospel and a bigger gospel? So you've got this kind of move towards bigness on one side, like expanding <laughs> on, yes. on one hand. Yes. And yeah, on the other hand, it's actually experientially, it means that you're you're able to observe and appreciate and soak up the things which are very, very small and very kind of like, you know, that you perhaps didn't notice before. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that. Yeah, at all. That's, yeah. very, that's very astute of you to pick that up. And now you've mentioned it, it is so true. And of course, that is, a, I think, a sign of what I would say classic mysticism or, or classic spirituality, well, not classic, but of, of of spirituality that you you have you know you have the two things always going along sort of hand in hand you have the um, micro and the macro yes um, i think would be the, the way of expressing it um, um so yes um my my experience of god of what i understand as god or the great spirit of the universe has become macro it has become ginormous everything is filled God, yes. God has become so much bigger, so much more profound, so much more everywhere, so much more in everybody, um, and and fills everything. Yes. Um, and yet, alongside the little small insect, the tiniest insect feeding off the pollen in a tiny little flower, has become also incredibly beautiful, incredibly wonderful, and significant because 
that little insect is also the spirit of God yes. being incarnated in this world. Yes. My, my understanding is, my not my understanding, my experience is that every little thing I see, I am not looking at an insignificant insect. I am looking at an incarnation of spirit. Yes, yes, yeah. Spirit, and... takes, on, spirit takes on body and form to be seen and to be realized yes and so yes the, the 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 wonder of this life has become ginormous the wonder yeah. of living uh, the wonder of the world around us the wonder and beauty of things has become so much greater and better yes um, as seen in the small yes and I, I guess if you if your perception is as you describe it is, it wouldn't be it, it it would be impossible to continue with the mode of farming that you were practicing before, which just looks at you know profitability and you know those you know, maximizing profit from the land because in a sense your your perception of the wonder of the smallness of the you know, these embodiments of the divine require you, in a sense, to have a different um, relationship with the land than, than perhaps that that you did before. Is that? Yes, you're that right. Yeah. Um, I just simply do not know how I could have continued along that way. You're right. Yeah. Um, there would have, it would have probably blown me apart, um, probably led to a nervous breakdown or something. Yeah. Um, but you see, uh, that's why I don't believe in coincidences. That's why yeah. I believe that the eternal spirit actually is um, arranging yes. uh, and working behind the scenes to lead me to the right people and the right thoughts and the right um, discoveries at the right time for my journey into the spirit. Yes. So yeah. uh, that's something else I've learned is that nothing is a coincidence. And in, in building a winery that has become a very significant um, business in its own right, a contract winery, ultimately for 600 tons of grapes, I had no idea how to build a winery. I had no idea how to do any of that. But I, I didn't even know I was going to do it. I fell into it almost without asking. And I was completely out of my depth. And I had another spiritual experience where I was having to trust the generosity of the spirit of the universe to supply what mm. I didn't have, both in terms of finance and the right people and, uh, and the right contacts. Mm. And all of those things came together without me trying, without me asking, without me advertising. Mm. And when people say, however did you build a winery in nine months during lockdown? I'd say, I have no idea yeah. beyond the fact that the spirit of this world is generous, is bounty, and is full of love, and managed to, to draw everything together. That's why the whole world becomes sacred. And nothing is a coincidence, because the spirit of the universe draws the right people and the right things to you at the right time. Yeah. Uh, and part oh, of well, I've answered your question. I can't even remember what the question was. <laughs> Nor can I. That's okay. <laughs> but part of that, part of that journey, or it, you know, that you're talking about, and I, I think it resonates with what you're saying about, you know, when you have, you know, you hear something from the divine, and you at that time you you know you were saying actually you have you think you might know what it means but you have no idea what it means mm. you have no idea how mm. it's going to be worked out and so it strikes me that that in a sense the the attitudes that one needs to take up um which you're kind of describing is an attitude of openness and discovery and curiosity and you know um because without that you're 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 not gonna be able to go on this journey you know that that's that actually um leads you into this kind of bigger bigger place i suppose um, yeah. uh, um you have to learn uh you have to learn 
to give up your own ideas. Yeah. You have to learn to be humble. So this is why the great spiritual teacher, Jesus, spoke about those wonderful, those wonderful words called the Beatitudes. It's all about being humble. It's yeah. all about having no pride. It's all about being uncertain. Yes. It's all about saying you don't know. It's all about getting rid of all of your certainties, whether it's about farming or whether it's about your religion. It's about getting rid of them. And uh, I came across a phrase that was written by Rumi, the um, mystic of the 1500s or something. His yes. little phrase was, sell your cleverness and buy bewilderment. <laughs> and I finished it off by saying, get rid of your certainty and find unknowing. Return from existence to non-existence. For I am not of this world. I belong to spirit. Yes. And there's this whole sense that we have to let go of our certainties. We have to let go of our assuredness. We have to let go of everything we're positive about. And we have to take on a, a spirit of, of submission, of surrender, of learning, of bewilderment, of, of uh, interest in anything. And if I talk to somebody and I have already decided what the outcome of that conversation will be and who that person is and what they believe, then I have already lost the reward. Yes. I have to talk to anybody and everybody as a sense of, I, I could learn from this person, from this encounter. Yes. Maybe. And I have learned that when I'm walking, uh, and I do a lot of walking now, um, when I'm walking, if I meet somebody, I meet them as though I'm meeting the spirit. Yes. And maybe I will have the reward of the spirit speaking to me and yeah. teaching me something more. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's that attitude almost requires a particular attitude towards time as well, isn't it? Because you've got to give you've got to give time to yeah. Yeah. to things and to people. Uh, you've got to slow your life down. Slow down. Yeah. 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 I, I think. Um, I think what's fascinating in talking to you today, Simon, is about, you know, how, in a sense, I love the way that um, all of these different aspects that you're talking about, particularly the spirituality and the spiritual aspect and um, the, the material materiality of existence, how those things are, you know, coming, they, they've come together you know they've come together in your life very clearly and i think it's a great um example of that the very fact that you're a farmer that that you know you're you're that it's it's about these physical things that are growing and and life and and you know stuff that in the end of course feeds people as well so it's very much a you know feeding the yeah. the body you know <laughs> and, <laughs> <laughs> and so and and so I'm I'm I love the way I'm I'm loving to hearing the way that your spirituality and the spirit and the material you know just the way they've come together in your in your life and the way that 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 works itself out in very very real concrete ways concrete's not the right term because but they're real material ways in in the farm, you know, I think that's just lovely, lovely to see. Um, because we're learning there is no duality in life. All yes. is one. Yeah. But all is one. End of. Yeah. <laughs> and and do you find, uh, we'll, we'll just finish in a, in, in a minute. Uh, I, I also have to nip off in a minute as well. But um, I suppose I just, the, the one of the last questions I want to ask really is, is, you know, do you find that there are enough people that you meet with who are on a similar kind of journey, both amongst regenerative, both amongst the farming communities? I mean, you've mentioned already those who, who may have very different spiritual orientations and yet who are actually, you know, discovering, um, you know, some of the things which you're describing in a similar way. So, so both with the farming community and with other people do you, that, that you meet, do you think there are enough people on this kind of similar path in some way? 
enough for what? I don't know why. I don't know quite what I'm asking there. I guess well, um, my answer is that uh, I am finding more and more. Yes. And I have had to learn to look for people who I am of one spirit with, generally outside of the established religions. Yes. Not yeah. entirely. Not entirely at all. Um, but um, there are many, many people outside of what who would not to see themselves as as religious in any way, um, but they might describe themselves as spiritual, um, who are becoming ever more aware of the beauty of this universe and the beauty of this earth. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the environmental agenda in this world is growing and growing and growing. And there can be all sorts of wrong motives why some people may be doing that um you know whether it's from greed or whether it's because of they are certain that they are right or something um but the fact that it is growing and so how i see this world uh um continuing and is that there will there is we are living in a time of great spiritual upheaval where a lot of the established religions are being bypassed by people who are encountering who are encountering the divine mystically within them um, from religious background or no religious background and as those numbers of people grow and become a dynamic this world will change and there was I remember years ago reading a book by the guy whose name I can't remember. It's behind me. Um, and he, they did some experiments where I think it was 0.01% of a community, if they are in agreement, they can change that community. Right. So there's just, it doesn't need, it doesn't need everybody to, to, to think differently, to change this world for the better. Yeah. It just needs enough of us where we are of one mind and of seeing one future and rejoicing in the beauty and oneness of all and then this world and our communities can begin to change yes yeah and so you are you are hopeful for the future i mean you know sometimes you know for those of us who are concerned about the environment the environmental crisis and all of this it can be you know very worrying very concerning do you feel that that we can respond sufficiently that humanity can can respond sufficiently to the the environmental crisis of of the time or is that too I, big a question i believe well who how do i know i'm just a simple farmer but my my gut response my feeling response is um that nothing is left uh to mankind and to coincidences entirely yes there is a a loving intelligent energy that is behind this universe yeah. and i can't be i can't think that that loving intelligent energy won't uh, well that it wouldn't would be prevented from the gradual restoration of this earth. So I'm hopeful. Yes. I'm ever positive. And I see the signs all the time. The growing understanding of regenerative farming, the growing trend of uh, understanding the ecology around us, the growing movements, um, and even the growing movements of the, is it the Me Too movement that was a few years ago where, yeah. you know, um, um, that has, call time on the male um, arrogance that they can do whatever they want to a woman yes. um, that it to me is all part of the story of the universe becoming more friendly more gentle and undoing the harm that mankind you has done and you've only got to read stories of history in the 15 1200s even in the uk to see the terror and horror that was it was to live in those days yeah um 
and that's all gone we've moved on yeah life is evolving mankind and humanity is evolving and we are still evolving uh to a better place as we as we evolve closer to an understanding and an, un, uh, and, a, and an encounter not an understanding an encounter with the divine and uh i think we will come through yeah. humanity will come through eventually